As has been announced, inshallah, today we will begin the study of a hadith from Sahih al-Bukhari about Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi's family. The hadith number from Sahih al-Bukhari is 3364. And for those of you who are following with the abridged version of Sahih al-Bukhari, the number is 1450. 1450. 1450. 1450. So, for those of you who are following with the abridged version, it's 1415 and 1415. And for those of you who are following with the original of Imam Khali, the number is 3364. وبالإسناد المتصل مني إلى الإمام البخاري رحمه الله قال حدثني عبد الله بن محمد قال حدثنا عبد الرزاق قال أخبرنا معمر عن أيوب السختياني وكثير بن المطلب بن أبي وداع يزيد أحدهما على الآخر عن سعيد بن جبير عن, ابن عب عن سعيد بن جبير قال ابن عباس رضي الله عنه I relate with a continuous and uninterrupted chain from me to Imam Bukhari, rahimahullah, who relates from, who says Abdullah ibn Muhammad related to me, that Abdul Razak related to us, that Ma'mar informed us, from Ayyub al-Sakhtiyani and from Kathir ibn al-Muttalib ibn Abi Wada'ah, each of them adding more than the other, from Sa'id ibn Jubayr, who said, Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhumah said. And thereafter the hadith begins. That was the sunad, the chain of transmission from Imam Bukhari rahimahullah till, till Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhumah, the cousin brother of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He then relates the full hadith. Now it's a very, it's a fairly long hadith and a couple of pages. And the topics covered are mainly about the 
emigration of Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi well, the travel of Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam with his wife Ummuna Hajar radiyallahu anha and their son Isma, Sayyidina Ismail alayhi salam from their land of residence in Kanaan in modern day Palestine to, to Makkah al Mukarramah. There the Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam left his wife and child and they remained behind they inhabited the area they were joined by a very large well they were joined by the famous tribe of Jurhum later eventually the whole area became a settle an inhabited settlement and then Sayyidina Ismail alayhi salam grew up he had further encounters with his father and Eventually, the end of the hadith speaks about the building of the Kaaba jointly by the Prophet Ibrahim and his son Ibrahim. Now, before we actually begin the hadith, I'd like to give a brief introduction on two things. One, the significance of studying this particular hadith. And number two, the position of Sayyidina Ibrahim and that of his family in Islam. Both points are actually related. Let me first speak about the position of Sayyidina Ibrahim. I won't be able to encompass all of his virtues in this one session, and nor is that the intended purpose. But just to shed some light on why he matters and why this particular hadith is important and why he has such a prominent position in Islam. At the beginning, I recited the verse of the Qur'an of Surah Al-Ahzab in which Allah commands us that, O believers, you also send salutations and greetings to the Prophet ﷺ. And in response, both you and I read Salat and Salam. And the most famous Salat and Salam is what we call the Salat of the Prophet ﷺ and Ibrahim ﷺ. The Salat and Salam which is recited in the Tashahud of Salat. And the words are Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala ali Muhammad kama sallaita ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim innak hamidun majid. And it continues. So in this prayer, in this salutation and greeting to the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the most authentic one, the most famous one, the one which is actually included in our daily five times salah and any other salah we may perform. We notice that two prophets' names are mentioned. The purpose is to send greetings and salutations to the Messenger wasallam, And yet in that salutation, the name of the Prophet Ibrahim is mentioned. And that's unique in our salah, in the salah of every single Muslim, till Yawm Al-Qiyamah. 
for every person who recites this salat and salam in that tashahud and salah, the name of the Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam, alongside that of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam is mentioned. Furthermore, in the Holy Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam in approximately 60 verses throughout the Qur'an in different surahs. And when we look at the details of his mention in both the Qur'an and the Hadith and the virtues associated with him, we learn that after the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam he is the mightiest and the leading prophet of all of the messengers of Allah. So his position is second only to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. We are now in the month of Shawwal. And this is the first of the three months of Hajj. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says al-Hajj ashhurun ma'lumat. The Hajj is a period of known months. So the months of Hajj, even though the rites and the rituals of Hajj are performed over five specific days, the season of Hajj, the preparation for Hajj, the validity of entering and consecrating oneself into the sacred state of Ihram for Hajj, that period is not restricted to the, to the five days. Rather, it begins with Shawwal. And the whole season of Hajj, the period of Hajj, the period for the validity of the Ihram of Hajj, begins with Shawwal, we are now in it. These are the three, almost three months of, the, uh, of Hajj. Shawwal, Dhul Qa'dah, and Dhul Hijjah. I mention this because Again, something else which is unique about the Prophet Ibrahim salam and that of his family. And in fact, not only is he mentioned, but his family, his al is mentioned in the tashahud salat and salam. And the meaning is, O oh Allah, send prayers to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam And to the family of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Just as you sent your peace, your blessings, your salutations and greetings and your favors to the Prophet Ibrahim salam and to his family. And then the second part says, Oh Allah, bless the Prophet Muhammad wasallam and his family just as you blessed the Prophet Ibrahim salam and his family. So, in the season of Hajj, there is another reminder. In fact, there are a couple of reminders of the Prophet Ibrahim When a person makes the intention for performing the pilgrimage and traveling to Hajj, he or she is actually responding to the call of Sayyidina Ibrahim Allah Azza wa Jal says in the Quran, وَأَذِّنْ فِي النَّاسِ بِالْحَجِّ يَأْتُوكَ رِجَالٌ وَعَلَىٰ كُلِّ ضَامِنٍ يَأْتِينَ مِنْ كُلِّ فَجٍ عَمِيقٍ That 
announce after he had completed the renovation and the building of the Kaaba. Allah instructed him, announce amongst the people. Announce the Hajj. They will come to you on foot and on every lean camel which shall arrive from every deep ravine. And this depicts the convergence of large numbers of people from all corners of the world upon the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the holy city of Mecca, especially in the season of Hajj. It's a sight to behold. There, where there was not a single drop of water or a blade of grass or vegetation, the barren valley, and now we witness the spectacle for ourselves. So Sayyidina Ibrahim salam responded to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the question of Allah, who will hear me? How will they respond? And as I've mentioned before, this has been narrated from some of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, and undoubtedly they would not have related such a story or such details of their own accord without having heard something to this effect from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam himself. And what they relate is that when Allah instructed him to announce the Hajj, and that people will respond by arriving, as I've just translated from the verse of the Qur'an, Ibrahim alayhi salam said, Oh Allah, how will they hear me? There is no one here to listen. There is no one to hear. So the Prophet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him that announce and it is my duty to convey this to the people. Your job is to announce. And when he did announce, the mountains reverberated with his call. And Every soul that was destined to visit the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responded with the words, Labbaik, Labbaik. So when people make this intention for Hajj, they are responding to the ancient call of Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam to travel to that house which he and his son built, to that city which was first inhabited by his wife and son Ismail They will drink of that well, which sprung forth for the sake of that baby Ismail They will perform tawaf around that Kaaba, which was built jointly by father and son. They will run between the two hills of Safa and Marwa, performing sa'i, reenacting the desperate search for water by Ummuna Hajar radiallahu anha. They will pelt the Jamarat as a reenactment of the actions of this family. And they, on the day of sacrifices, they and billions all over the world will take part in the ritual of Udhiyah, the sacrifice, the Qurbani, and sacrifice and slaughter an animal. Again, as a reenactment of the attempted sacrifice of Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam, and then the eventual slaughter of the ram, and that act of total submission by the father and the son, Ibrahim and Ismail alayhi salam. 
many of the rites and rituals of Hajj. The location, the building, the well of Zimzum, the barakat, the blessings, the fruits that people enjoy of the holy city. These are all the blessings and the barakat of Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam and the fulfillment of his dua and the acceptance of Allah by Allah of his dua and the response of the world to his call of Hajj. And even out of the season of Hajj, every single day when we pray, we face the Kaaba, the house of Allah. And who built that? Who was commanded to build it? It's the most noble building on earth. It was the best building project ever. Commissioned by Allah, contracted by Jibreel, built by Ibrahim, and assisted by his apprentice Ismail, That was the Kaaba. That's the building which we face in every single salah. That's the Qibla of the Muslims. All of this, Hajj, Salah, Tashahud in Salah, Salat and Salam upon Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the Kaaba, the well of Zimzim, the hills of Safa and Marwa, Sa'i, the pelting of the Jamarat, the rites and the rituals of Hajj, the blessings and the barakat, and the abundant produce and fruits available in the city of Mecca during all seasons, and not just now in the days of global trade and transportation, but even centuries before, people would marvel at the availability of produce and fruit in the barren valley of Mecca, when it wasn't available anywhere else, even in the coastal regions, even in the luscious parts of the surrounding regions. But it was available in the city of Mecca. All of these barakat and these blessings and this availability of produce and fruits is related to Sayyidina Ibrahim So his is a great position. The greatest of prophets after the Prophet Muhammad Why does Islam accord such importance to him? Why is he mentioned with such favor in the Holy Qur'an? To the extent that we as an ummah have been commanded to follow in the footsteps of the Prophet and he himself in the Qur'an has been commanded to follow in the footsteps of the Prophet Ibrahim and his Prophet children Allah says and follow in their footsteps. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Continuing with the Hadith from before Salah. I was giving an introduction to the significance of this Hadith and the position of Sayyidina Ibrahim in Islam. In fact, not just the Kaaba and Mecca and Zamzam and the rites and rituals of Hajj and Umrah, but even the presence of this Ummah is an answer to the dua of Sayyidina Ibrahim The coming of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
was an answer to the dua of, the, of Sayyidina Ibrahim And it was on the occasion of the completion of the Kaaba, which is what this hadith ultimately leads to, that he made this dua. And Allah mentions it, وَإِذْ يَرْفَعُ إِبْرَاهِيمُ الْقَوَاعِدِ مِنَ الْبَيْتِ وَإِسْمَعِيلِ رَبَّنَا تَقَبَّلْ مِنَّا إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ السَّمِيعُ الْعَلِيمُ رَبَّنَا وَجْعَلْنَا مُسْلِمَيْنَ لَكُمْ مِنْ ذُرِّيَّتِنَا أُمَّةً مُسْلِمَةً لَكُ وَأَرِنَا مَنَاسِكَنَا وَتُبْ عَلَيْنَا إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ التَّوَّابُ الرَّحِيمُ رَبَّنَا وَبَعَثْ فِيهِمْ رَسُولًا مِّنْهُمْ يَتْلُوْ عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتِكَ وَيُعَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابُ وَالْحِكْمَةُ وَيُزَكِّيهِمْ إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ الْعَزِيزُ الْحَكِيمُ I'll just quickly translate or paraphrase the meaning of these three, four verses. Allah says, and when Ibrahim and Ismail were raising the foundations of the house of the Kaaba, they were praying, O oh, our Lord, accept from us. And then the dua continues, and it includes teachers our rites, i.e. and rituals of prayer, on observing you, of performing the pilgrimage. And then the final part of the dua is, and Allah raise amongst them, meaning, make us, make us Muslims. Ibrahim and Ismail salam both prayed that oh Allah make us Muslims. وَجْعَلْنَا مُسْلِمَيْنَ لَكَ وَمِن ذُرِّيَّتِنَا أُمَّةً مُسْلِمَةً لَكَ Make us Muslims for you and from our children, from our progeny. Raise and create a whole Muslim ummah for you. أُمَّةً مُسْلِمَةً لَكَ And the meaning of make us Muslim, make our children Muslim, make our future generations Muslim, and raise from them a Muslim ummah. The meaning of Muslim in this whole context is not what we think it is. Just the term Muslim. Islam. Muslim comes from Islam, and Islam means submission. Commonly it's said that Islam means peace. Of course it means peace. But not linguistically, not technically. Islam stands for peace, yes, but the term Islam is not, the translation is not peace. It means submission. And when Ibrahim and Ismail السلام, prayed to Allah that, oh Allah, make us Muslim, they weren't referring to just the label. Nor were they saying that, oh Allah, make us peaceful. They were peaceful. Rather, the meaning is, show us how to submit totally to you. Give us the ability, the tawfiq, to submit to you. Ibrahim alayhi salam said, oh Allah, make me a Muslim. Ismail alayhi salam said, make me a Muslim. I.e. one who submits to you. And raise from our children an ummah which will submit to you. And that's why Allah says again, مِلَّةَ أَبِيكُمْ إِبْرَاهِيمُ هُوَ سَمَّاكُمُ الْمُسْلِمِينَ This is the way, the religion of your father, Ibrahim. It is he who called you and named you Muslims. And what does that mean? Named you Muslims after himself and in his dua. That just as he prayed that, oh Allah, 
make me want to submit to you. Ismail said, make me want to submit to you. And both prayed that from our children, raise a generation, raise an ummah, a people who will submit to you. And this is why the term Islam and Muslims, those who submit, even apparent submission is Islam. Just as Allah says, uh, of those Bedouin who said, قَالَتِ الْأَعْرَابُ آمَنَّا قُلْ لَمْ تُؤْمِنُوا وَلَكِنْ قُولُوا أَسْلَمْنَا وَلَمَّا يَدْخُلِ الْإِيمَانُ فِي قُلُوبِكُمْ The Bedouin claim that we have become Muslim. Say to them, O Messenger of Allah, that... Sorry, they said we have become mu'min, we have become believers. We have believed. So Allah commanded the Messenger wasallam to tell them, قُلَّمْ تُؤْمِنُوا Say to them, you have not believed. Rather say of yourselves, أَسْلَمْنَا We have submitted. And iman has not yet entered your hearts. So even apparent submission leads to the title of Islam and Muslim. So... The reason I've emphasized on this point of Islam and Muslim is that I was mentioning that Ibrahim, the presence of this ummah is a fulfillment of the dua of Sayyidina Ibrahim salam, and that was a dua. The coming of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was a fulfillment of that dua because the last part of the dua is, Oh Allah, raise from them a messenger, from, from, uh, raise from amongst them a messenger who will then Recite to them the book of Allah. And the verse continues. So the coming of Rasulullah was, was the fulfillment of the dua of Ibrahim The rising of this ummah as a Muslim ummah with the title of Muslim was the naming of Ibrahim and, and was the fulfillment of his prayer and the prayer of his son Ismail. There is so much about us, about our religion, about our rites and rituals, about, about our acts of worship. In fact, our very name, which is all connected to the single person of Sayyidina Ibrahim salam, whom the Prophet ﷺ was commanded to follow. This is why he is the greatest human being after Rasulullah The Sahaba radiyallahu anhum were great. But nobody ranks them greater than the Anbiya The Prophets of Allah, His Messengers, are the best and the chosen ones of the whole of creation. And the leader of them all was the Prophet Muhammad wasallam. And then second to him was the Prophet Ibrahim This is why there is so much to learn of him, about him, of his seerah. And to adopt from his life. But the greatest lesson that he left, the greatest legacy of Ibrahim that he bequeathed to those who came after him, is Islam, which means submission. That was his greatest lesson, his greatest sacrifice. And his submission and sacrifice. We're not for one day, we're not for a single episode, we're not for one incident. We will be coming up to the day of Eid, which is known as the day of sacrifices, Eid al-Adha. And as I mentioned earlier, everyone, well, we will all participate in the ritual of slaughtering an animal. And that's a reenactment of the story of his sacrifice and that of his son. But that wasn't just 
the only sacrifice in his life. That was actually just one page of a whole book of sacrifices. His sacrifices began at a very young age. And that leads me to the next point, which is that, before we actually begin the hadith, what were the incidents in his life that led to the beginning of what's mentioned in this hadith? And who exactly was Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam? He was a mighty messenger of Allah. I won't go into the chronology or the or the history or the dates of Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam. That's another topic in itself. But approximately 2,000 years ago, Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam lived in ancient Iraq in Mesopotamia, in the city of Ur. Ur itself actually meant the city. And it was in the Babylonian kingdom, ancient Mesopotamia. Ur itself actually means city. That's why Jerusalem was originally Ur Shalom, or Urushlam. Even now it's called Urushlam, which means Darus Salam, the city of peace. So Ur originally just meant city, but the greatest city at that time in the Mesopotamian period was Ur, and it was a huge Babylonian city. In fact, it was. It may sound simplistic and primitive, but they were quite advanced in maths and astronomy, in architecture, in engineering, in building. So, Sayyidina Ibrahim didn't live in just a primitive, simplistic, simple environment in which many of his fellow people were idolaters and would commit shirk and were so wayward. Rather, despite their learning, despite their civilization, despite their advanced culture, despite their knowledge of maths, language, languages, of astronomy, of engineering, despite their architectural feats, despite their worldly and scientific progress, when it came to the spirits, when it came to Allah, when it came to religion, they were primitive. And their understanding was very simplistic. And wayward. And they worshipped stars, the planetary bodies, and graven images, stones, statues and idols. And Sayyidina Ibrahim would remonstrate with them, would challenge them, would advise them, would invite them. And he shunned their worship and their ways. This inevitably invited the wrath and the enmity of his people and in fact his own family. And first of all his own father. So Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had granted him great wisdom and understanding as he did to all the prophets. And I'd like to mention something here. Since Sayyidina Ibrahim is known as the father of nations and the patriarch of the monotheistic religions of Islam, Christianity and Judaism, there is much said about him, there's a lot believed about him. And unfortunately, some of the suggestions are horrendous. One is that his wife, Sarah, radiyallahu anha, 
was actually his sister. And that he was an incestuous marriage. Half-sister. So one belief is that Sarah, anha, was his half-sister. And he lived his whole life in an incestuous marriage. The other common belief about Sayyidina Ibrahim السلام, is that he actually lived his life in idolatry. And he was only much later at an advanced age, according to some suggestions, at the age of 75, that he was awakened, he became enlightened, and he realized the error of idolatry, and he explored monotheism, and that he discovered monotheism, he discovered tawheed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answers that beautifully in more than one verse of the Qur'an. In another verse, He was not of the polytheists, of the pagans. The translation of both verses is the same, even though the wording in Arabic is different. Sayyidina Ibrahim was not of the polytheists. And that one single verse answers so many things, as the Qur'an often does. A single verse can be an answer to so many questions. One, the pagans, the pagan Arabs of Mecca, they claimed ethnic ancestry and religious ancestry, both from Sayyidina Ibrahim and of course, they were the descendants of the Prophet Ibrahim السلام, ethnically. But in terms of religion, they had abandoned the ways of their forefather. And by claiming that this is the way of our forefathers, this is the religion of our forefather Ibrahim السلام, what they actually suggested is that our idolatry, our paganism, this is part of the religion of Ibrahim السلام. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's verse answers that. That Ibrahim alayhi salam, he was Hanifa, he was an upright monotheist. He was not a polytheist, he was not a pagan. So it refutes a claim of the mushrikeen. مَا كَانَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ يَهُودِيًّا وَلَا نَصْرَانِيًّا وَلَكِنْ كَانَ حَنِيفًا مُسْلِمًا Ibrahim was neither a Yahudi or a Nasrani. Rather, he was an upright Muslim. And he was not of the idolaters. He was not of the pagans. And this verse not only answers the claim of the Mushrikeen of Mecca, but he also answers this common belief that Ibrahim lived a life of idolatry, just like his fellow countrymen just like his people. And that he only came to discover monotheism and tawheed after much soul-searching and after having lived a life of idolatry and shirk. And therefore, being the discoverer of tawheed, he is the founder of monotheism. Ibrahim salam was not the founder of monotheism. He didn't discover it. Ibrahim was always a muwahid. 
He was always a Hanif. He was always a Muslim. He was always a person of Tawheed. And this is perfectly ex- explained in the verse of the Quran in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَقَدْ آتَيْنَا إِبْرَاهِيمَ رُشْدَهُ مِنْ قَبْلِ وَكُنَّا بِهِ عَالِمِينَ إِذْ قَالَ لِأَبِيهِ وَقَوْمِهِ مَا هَذِهِ التَّمَاثِيلُ الَّتِي أَنْتُمْ لَهَا عَاكِفُونَ Allah says, and verily we had bestowed guidance upon Ibrahim of before. And we were surely knowing of him. Meaning, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from before knew the worth and the virtue of Ibrahim alayhi salam. Since he was his chosen prophet. But even before. And Allah granted him his knowledge, his wisdom, rushda, his guidance, min qabla, of before. It wasn't something which he discovered. He was born a muwahid. So, Ibrahim alayhi salam lived in Ur. He grew up amongst his people. Many of them worshipped idols, graven images, stones, planetary bodies and many different gods, Ibrahim alayhi salam worshipped and called towards the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This led to a great conflict between him and his people and primarily his family. And first of all his father, as Allah says, when he said to his father and his people, what are these statues that you are so devoted to? There are many stories about Ibrahim alayhi salam, but probably the most famous one which the Qur'an mentions is the one of him breaking the idols. And this conflict was long running and eventually culminated in Ibrahim alayhi salam smashing their idols. And briefly what had happened is they had a day of a great festival, an annual festival celebration. They invited him to come along. He declined. And in their absence, he went and he took an adze, which is uh, an implement similar to an axe, and he smashed all the idols, except the large one. And he then placed the adze, the tool similar to an axe, in the bosom or the cradle or the arms of the idol and left. And And similar to statues and... stone idols in many parts of the world the on this day of fest, on this great festival much food had been laid out before the idols and in the verse of the quran actually says that he spoke to them he addressed them and said before he smashed them he addressed them and said why don't you eat what's wrong with you why don't you speak and then he smashed all of them with the exception of the largest one, and then he placed the tool in his hands and left. When the people returned and they saw their smashed idols, they said, who has done this? The people said, we've always heard of this young man. See? Not someone who discovered monotheism in the 75th year of his age, rather someone who was enlightened of yore from before. So we've heard of a young man who constantly mentions these idols disparagingly. Ibrahim says, summon him and bring him before all the people. And in fact, that was the purpose of Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam. So that he could 
present his argument, not to the family, not to a few individuals, but rather to his whole, to all the people on the occasion of their greatest festival and in the largest congregation. So when he was summoned and brought before them, they interrogated him. And they said, did you smash these idols? And his reply was, بَلْ فَعْلَهُ كَبِيرُهُمْ هَذَا فَسَلُوهُمْ إِنْ كَانُوا يَمْتَقُونَ He said, no, I didn't. He didn't say no. He said, rather, the, the largest one of these idols, he smashed all the others. So why don't you ask them if they speak? They realize that. How can we ask them? They don't speak. Now, I'd like to say something here. This story may sound rather simplistic. And we may say, well, this is all rather, this is all childish, isn't it? Uh, Ibrahim, a young man smashing idols, people coming and inspecting them, demanding to know who had smashed the idols. Ibrahim, alayhi salam, blaming it on the largest idol. And then the people realize, and telling them, ask the idols. It may all seem rather primitive and simplistic, but there are great lessons in this one story alone. As I said, he wasn't resident in a village. He was resident in Ur, the capital of Mesopotamia at the time. A culture, a civilization, steeped in science, in learning, in writing, in languages, in maths, in astronomy. A civilization of great architectural and engineering feats. The people were advanced, cultured. And yet despite all the learning and all the technology and science, when it came to matters of the spirit, when it came to their relationship with Allah, indeed they were primitive. And this is the cognitive dissonance of man. Where at one and, the, at, one and at the same time, we are able to entertain and adhere to two strands of thought that are so contradictory. On the one hand, we can be so intelligent in so many different things. And yet, on the other, we can be so backward, so primitive. That's exactly what they did then. And in many ways, this is what we do now. Shirk has never disappeared. Idolatry has many forms. A graven image, an idol, is one form of idolatry. But we have our own forms of idolatry. And we may scoff at these people who placed food before the idols. And when they returned and found that they couldn't defend themselves, let alone anyone else... And then Ibrahim alayhi salam told them to ask the idols what had happened to them. We may scoff at all of this, but is this any different to what we do? What Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam was demonstrating to them was the stupidity and the futility of their behavior. And that is a lesson for us too. Because idolatry is not just about the worship of graven images. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَتَّخِذُ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ أَنْدَادًا يُحِبُّونَهُمْ كَحُبِّ اللَّهِ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَشَدُّ حُبًّا لِلَّهِ And of the people there are those who take 
besides Allah, rivals to, equals to Allah, they love them as they should have loved Allah. And those who have believed, they are more intense in their love of Allah. Anything which a person becomes devoted to, what did Allah, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala quote of Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam? He says, وَلَقَدْ آتَيْنَا إِبْرَاهِيمَ رُشْدَهُ مِنْ قَبْلُ وَكُنَّا بِهِ عَالِمِينَ إِذْ قَالَ لِأَبِيهِ وَقَوْمِهِ مَا هَذِهِ التَّمَاثِيلُ الَّتِي أَنْتُمْ لَهَا عَاكِفُونَ And we bestowed upon Ibrahim his guidance of before, and surely we were well knowing of him, when he said to his father and his people, What are these statues? أَنْتُمْ لَهَا عَاكِفُونَ And I mentioned some time ago in the commentary of Bukhari in the chapter of fasting. I mentioned about i'tikaf. And I explained then, and we've just had i'tikaf in Ramadan. I'tikaf comes from the root word akafa ya'kufu'ukufan. So akifun, what does it mean? What did Ibrahim alayhi salam say to them? What are these statues that you are akif? Over. Akif means someone who is utterly focused and totally devoted to something or someone to the exclusion of everything else. And this is where atakaf comes in. When a person sits in atakaf, a person secludes themselves, either physically or mentally or metaphorically. And devotes themselves and focuses single-mindedly on one thing. And in i'tikaf in Ramadan, a person secludes themselves and excludes everything from their mind, from their life, except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and their relationship with Allah. That's the purpose of i'tikaf. So what Ibrahim alayhi salam said to them was, what are these statues that you are devoted to, so focused on? And we do the same with our idols. As Allah says, there are of the people those who take besides Allah equals to him, that they love as they should have loved Allah. We can, we can take any idol. It could be a person, an individual, another human being, a man, a woman. It could be an idea, it could be a philosophy, it could be a way of life, it could be a habit, it could be a personal trait, it could be a thing of enjoyment, it could be a pastime. Anything which, to which we are so devoted, single-mindedly, that it makes us forget Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is an equal to Allah, is a rival to Allah, and therefore for us that is in itself a form of idolatry and shirk. It doesn't matter if we do not prostrate and bow to it. If we believe in the power, in the strength of any force, of any being, of anything, besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that in itself is a form of shirk. And that's what Ibrahim alayhi salam was demonstrating to them. That you worship these idols. You worship these graven images. He smashed them. And illustrated to them. 
that they cannot do anything for themselves, let alone do anything for you. And for us, it's the same. Everything that we hold on to so dearly, besides Allah, trusting in it, believing in it, lavishly focusing our attention on it, being devoted to it, believing in its strength and its power, ultimately it amounts to nothing without Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that was a lesson. So what happened after that? Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam was persecuted even more severely now by his own people. And then eventually they threatened to burn him alive. Then there's that famous story of him being flung into the fire, saved by Jibreel alayhi salam. And then eventually he left his people. He did hijrah from Ur to a place called Haram, in Arabic known as Haram, in modern day Turkey. And he emigrated there with members of his family. And he said, Inni muhajirun ila Rabbi, I am emigrating to my Lord. I mentioned before that hijrah is a sunnah of the Anbiya alayhi wasalam. And in, in there, there is a great lesson for us. Enmity, disapproval, approval, disapproval, friendship and enmity of people doesn't really mean much. Popularity doesn't mean much. The Prophet ﷺ says in a hadith, on the day of reckoning, there will be the prophets of Allah who shall enter Jannah with groups of people, and then I'm paraphrasing the hadith, with groups of people of their ummah. There will be those who will enter Jannah with three, with a few people, with two people, with one person. And there will be some anbiya alayhim salam who shall enter Jannah alone of their ummah. Popularity doesn't mean anything. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was to bestow popularity onto anyone, it would have been the anbiya and the rusul, the messengers and the prophets alayhim wasalam. Populism. We're saying and doing what people want. Again, isn't that divided loyalty? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala expects something from you. The creator expects something from you. And the creation expects something else. So you do what the creation expects and not what Allah the creator expects. The creator commands. And the creation demands. And we do what the creation demands. And ignore what the Creator commands. Isn't that a form of shirk? I'm not calling anybody a mushrik. I'm inviting myself to reflect on the message of the true monotheism of Ibrahim salam and the meaning of shirk in Islam. I mentioned in Kitab al-Sharika of Kitab al-Buyur in Bukhari. A book devoted to transactions and financial dealing. I mentioned about shirk. What does shirk actually mean? Shirk originally just means partnership. That's all it means. 
Idolatry is a secondary later meaning. It just means partnership. Shariq means a partner. Shirk means partnership. Shirka, shirka means a company, a collection of individual of partners. So shirk originally just means partnership. And shirk, idolatry in Islam is when a person makes anyone or anything a partner, a partner of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in anything, an intention, an act of worship, a devotion. So this was the true tawheed of Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam. And I mentioned that hijrah was a sunnah of the Anbiya alayhi salam. They weren't popular. And if Allah wished to bestow popularity upon anyone, it would have been the Anbiya alayhi salam. And they weren't inclined to populism, where they said or did what people wanted. They were firm in their faith. They were humble, devout, loving, caring, inviting to the way of Allah. Warning, giving glad tidings, but they were firm in their faith. They did not go with the flow. They did not waver. Their message never changed. And it was one regardless of what people said. In fact, the way Ibrahim spoke to his father illustrates it beautifully. وَذْكُرْ فِي الْكِتَابِ إِبْرَاهِيمِ إِنَّهُ كَانَ صِدِّيقًا نَبِيًّا إِذْ قَالَ لِأَبِيهِ يَا أَبَتِ لِمَ تَعْبُدُ مَا لَا يَسْمَعُ وَلَا يُبْسِرُ وَلَا يُغْنِي عَنْكَ شَيْئًا يَا أَبَتِ إِنِّي قَدْ جَاءَنِي مِنْ الْعِلْمِ مَا لَمْ يَأْتِكَ فَاتَّبِعْنِي أَهْدِكَ سِرَاطٍ سَوِيًّا And mention in the book, i.e. in the Quran, Ibrahim, for verily he was voracious, i.e. extremely honest. A prophet. And remember when he mentioned, when he said to his father, Oh my father, how does the message begin? He didn't scold him. He spoke to him lovingly. Every sentence begins with the words, Ya Abati. Oh my father. Why? A question. Not so much don't. Rather, why? He invited him to think. He encouraged him to think. To reflect. Ya Abadi, O my father. Why do you worship that? Which cannot hear, which cannot see, which can't help you in any way, which cannot avail you of anything. O my father. Inni qad ja'ani min al-ilm ma lam ya'tik. Fattabi'ni ahdika siratan sawiyya. A beautiful verse. He answers a question that how can a son address the father? The father is older, wiser, more authoritative. He's his dad. How can the son lecture the father? How can the son know better than the father? How can the younger one know better than the older one? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala quotes his words. Ya abadi, O my father. Verily, some knowledge has come to me which has not come to you. Therefore follow me, and I shall guide you to the straight path. He spoke with love, he spoke with affection, he spoke with respect, regardless of his father's harshness towards him. 
But he remained firm in what he believed. He did not waver. And as a result of adhering to their beliefs and continuing to preach to their people and inviting them to the way of Allah, all of the Anbiya alayhim salam suffered. All of them. And hijrah was a sunnah of the Anbiya. They were hardly ever revered or respected by their own people. They were almost invariably driven out. It happened with the Prophet ﷺ in Mecca. Look at his life and experience in Mecca, in contrast to his life and experience in Medina. The same with Ibrahim ﷺ. Eventually he had to leave his people. And he had to do hijrah to Haram in modern day Turkey. But originally this was actually considered part of Sham. And that's why in the hadith, Rasulullah refers to Sham, one of the names he gives to Sham is Muhajir Ibrahim, meaning the destination of the Prophet Ibrahim's emigration. So he lived there for many years, and there he had a number of experiences. Then Allah commanded him to come down to Qan'am, ancient Canaan, which is modern day Palestine. And from there, and then much of his seerah, as we know it, is actually from that period. At one time, from Canaan, from modern-day Palestine, he also travelled to Egypt, where he had that encounter with the pharaoh of the day uh, regarding his sister, which I mentioned, sorry, regarding his wife, Sarah, radiyallahu anha, of which he did say that this is my sister, but I explained that in the commentary of the hadith not too long ago, a few months ago, in which... Prophet ﷺ said that Ibrahim ﷺ did not lie, utter any lie except three lies. But he did so for the sake of Allah. And they weren't lies, as I explained then in detail. Because in Arabic, the word kadib means something that, that doesn't conform to reality. It doesn't conform to reality. And... Strangely, this was one of the questions which I actually posed in the uh, Sahih al-Bukhari exam paper to the graduating ulama this year. Uh, in the hadith of Bukhari where Muawiyah radiyallahu an speaks of Ka'bul Ahbar and says of him in one sentence that he was the most truthful of the narrators who would relate the stories of the people of the Buktas. But despite this, we experience kadib with him. And the meaning of kadib is not a lie, rather something which doesn't conform to reality. Therefore, in Arabic, the word kadib refers to both an outright lie as well as an error, a mistake. So, Muawiyah radiyallahu anhu was saying about Ka'bul Ahbar, not that he was a liar, but that he made mistakes. And there was a mistake, there was an error. So Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam, when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam says of him, he lied thrice. He did not lie except thrice and always for the sake of Allah. It wasn't that he was lying, but he said something. It was a form of dissimulation. But he said something which didn't conform to reality. Not as the people thought. But it did conform to reality in one way. And... One of them was, he said, Inni Saqim, I am ill. And I've explained all of that in, on that occasion, please refer to it. But the third occasion was when the Prophet ﷺ said he was passing by in the land of a tyrant king. And that was the pharaoh of Egypt at the time. Who 
And the story was that he, being corrupt of nature, they would have their eyes on any beautiful woman. And Sarah radiallahu anha was extremely beautiful. And it was, it was a strange custom. But if a woman was alone, she was in danger. If a woman was accompanied by her husband, they were both in danger. Because what they would do is kill the husband. And capture the woman. But if the woman was with a member of her family, such as her brother, then both of them would be honored and spared any harm. So Sayyidina Ibrahim salam, fearing for his life and fearing for the dignity of his wife, knowing the ill intentions of the Pharaoh, who was ultimately the most powerful man in the kingdom, and uh, they considered themselves God to do with people as they wished, to take life and to give life. And in their view, the meaning of giving life was to spare someone on whom the judgment of death had been passed. And then to pass the judgment of death on someone who was totally innocent. So, since the Pharaoh and others like him were of that nature, Sayyidina Ibrahim salam told Sarah anha that if we, you are asked, then say that you are my sister. And that is the truth. For here, apart from you and me, there are no other believers. And we are brother and sister in faith. And indeed, Pharaoh summoned her. Sayyidina Ibrahim salam on that occasion was powerless. And he summoned her to his court. From the moment she left, Ibrahim salam engaged in salah and prayer. Of course, the salah may have been different, we don't know the details, but he engaged in prayer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and supplication. The king, the Titan Pharaoh, attempted to advance his hand towards Sarah radiallahu anha. She immediately, when she realized his intentions, she also began to engage in salah and in prayer and supplication to Allah, both husband and wife in different locations, praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, engaging in salah. He extended his hand towards her and he was suddenly paralyzed. He suffered the paralysis of the hand. Knowing that she had something to do with this because she was praying, he said, pray to your Lord to relieve me of this and I will not harm you, I promise. So in her soft nature, she prayed to Allah to relieve him. And instantly her supplication was accepted and strength returned to his hand and he was relieved of his paralysis. But... A corrupt person is corrupt of nature. Allahu Akbar. Despite witnessing this miracle, he again extended his hand towards her. And again his hand froze, suffering paralysis. He repeated his earlier request, pray to your God, your God. Pray to your God. Just as Pharaoh and his people said to Musa alayhi salam, pray not to God, but pray to your God. So she, he said, pray to your God to relieve me. And I promise I will not harm you or repeat myself. She prayed. Again, the paralysis was removed. Being corrupt of nature, for the third time he extended his hand. And again, his hand froze and he suffered paralysis. Then, 
She prayed, he requested another dua, she prayed, and then for the third time, he came to his senses. But even then, not fully, because he summoned his courtiers and he said to them, you have not brought me a woman or a human being. She's not an insan, she's a shaitan. So take her away. Subhanallah. So, they took her away. And he then told her and his courtiers that take her away. And then he also found out that Ibrahim salam was her husband. She said, take her away and take that man away. Tell them to leave my land. And strangely, he gave her a gift. Probably to encourage her to depart. And he gave her a gift of a maid, a handmaiden. Ummuna Hajar radiallahu anha. She was a Copt, an Egyptian girl. So he gave her as a gift to her. So when she returned to Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam, he was still engaged in his dua, in his salah, in his prayer. And he asked her, whilst praying with the signal of his hand, with the motion of his hand, what happened? So she said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected me. And he returned me to you. And he has also given us a gift of a handmaiden. And that was the Coptic maid, Hajar radiallahu anha. From whom eventually Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam had a son Ismail alayhi salam. This reminds me, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was given a Qibtiya, a Coptic maid as a gift, Maria radiallahu anha, and she bore him many years after his last child. Many years later, she brought him great joy and happiness with Ibrahim radiallahu anha, his beautiful son, whom he had to sacrifice for the sake of Allah. Just as Ibrahim, Ibrahim salam was called to sacrifice his son, but Allah did not take him away. But with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and he dearly loved Maria Qibtiya radiallahu anha. So much so that the wives, they were jealous of each other. But when Maria Qibtiya radiallahu anha arrived, they were all collectively jealous of her. So he had to remove her from near the masjid to a distant area of Medina, where he would go regularly to visit her. And Ibrahim radiallahu anhu, when he was born, he was so overjoyed, he would bring him, show him to the family. He showed him to Aisha radiallahu anha, and he said, do you not see my likeness in him? And Aisha radiallahu anha looked at him and said, he doesn't look like you. <laughs> so, ghira, ghira at the end of the day, Umuna Aisha radiallahu anha says that when a woman suffers from ghira, jealousy, the upper part, the valley spins around her. The valley spins. And what that means is that the upper part of the valley appears as the lower part of the valley. And the lower valley appears as the upper valley. And that's in the open, clear desert air. Despite its clarity and its penetration into the mind and its piercing effect, ghira clouds a person's judgment. And we can all suffer from ghira, man or woman. And therefore jealousy is extremely dangerous. Both hasad is dangerous and jealousy is dangerous. It can lead to paranoia. And they both feed of each other. Paranoia feeds of jealousy. Jealousy feeds off paranoia. And 
that's why I've always said, even in English, there's a great difference and distinction between jealousy and envy. We normally use the words interchangeably. We say jealous, so someone's jealous of another person. But strictly speaking, hasad is envy. Envy is hasad. And jealousy is ghira or ghira, both pronunciations in Arabic. And uh, in Arabic we say ghira and ghira. And in other languages, especially in Urdu, we say ghairat. So... One of the, again, one of those common, famous words and beloved words in Urdu, uh, especially in our culture, izzat and gharat. These two perceptions, these two ideas, notions of izzat and gharat, lead to so much violence, so much conflict, so much ill behavior, and such stupidity. Because with this idea of gharat, a person doesn't think straight or rationally, just as Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha said. So in Arabic, ghirah and ghirah refer to jealousy. So what's the distinction between jealousy and, hasa, jealousy and envy? Simple. Envy is when you are passionate about what someone else has but you don't have. And jealousy is when you are passionate of what you have. Simple. Simple. Envy is when you're passionate about what someone else has. And you may even have it. You may actually have it. But you're still envious. So envy is when you're passionate about what someone else has. And jealousy is when you're passionate about what you have. You don't want to lose it. But in that desire to control, to retain control, to keep, To control something which is uncontrollable. To keep something which is not everlasting. To hold on to something which is transient by its very nature. We lose our minds. That's ghayrah. Man does it, a woman does it. Men, unfortunately, kill out of jealousy. That's what we hold... Shakespearean play of Othello is about. And he's actually a Muslim. In the Othello is Muslim. Though not referred to as such, but the Turk or the Moor. So men kill in their jealousy. So anyway, Umm Mu'minin Aisha radiallahu anha, she explains that Ghira leads a person to great confusion. And even the valley spins for a woman suffering from ghira, or a person suffering from ghira. So she said about Ibrahim radiallahu and he doesn't look like you. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, his son was taken away from him. And his story is similar to Ibrahim alayhi salam. Maria qibtiya radiallahu anha and Hajar, the Coptic qibtiya made given to Ibrahim alayhi salam. After that, the Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam left Egypt with both Sarah radiallahu anha, his wife, and the handmaiden Hajar radiallahu anha and returned to the land of Gan'an, modern day Palestine. He lived for very long and despite being greatly advanced in his years, he did not have a child. His family was childless. And Ummuna Sarah radiallahu anha just wouldn't conceive. And he prayed and he prayed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a child. 
with great patience. Again, this was another act of devotion and patience. Another great lesson for us. From the time he was married at a young age, Sarah radiallahu anha was actually his cousin's sister. Not his half-sister, his cousin's sister, his first cousin. Despite being married for such a long time, they were childless, a childless couple. And he continued to pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala over and over again with patience, with submission, submitting to the will and decree of Allah without despair, without frustration. And imagine, Allah then gave him a child many, many decades later, scores of years later, and that was only after Sarah radiallahu anha realized that she was unable to conceive. And therefore she said to Ibrahim alayhi salam that I'm unable to conceive. Why don't you marry Hajar, this handmaiden of mine? And perhaps through her Allah may give you a child. So Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam married Ummuna Hajar radiallahu anha. And then eventually she, well, she gave birth to the Prophet Ismail salam, his first son. This now leads us to the beginning of the hadith, and this is where I will stop. And inshallah from next week, we'll continue with the actual hadith. So before I end, let me just read the first words again of the hadith with the sanad. وَبِهِ قَالَ حَدَّثْنِي عَبْدُ اللَّهِ بْنُ مُحَمَّدْ قَالَ حَدَّثْنَا عَبْدُ الرَّزَّاقِ قَالَ أَخْبَرَنَا مَعْمَرٌ عَنْ أَيُوبَ السَّخْطِيَانِي وَكَثِيرِ بْنِ كَثِيرِ بْنِ الْمُطَّلِبِ بْنِ أَبِي وَدَاعَةِ يزيد أحدهما على الآخر عن سعيد بن جبير قال ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما عبد الله بن محمد إمام بخاري I relate with the المتصل مني إلى الإمام البخاري رحمه الله I relate with a continuous and uninterrupted chain from me to Imam Bukhari رحمه الله who says عبد الله بن محمد related to us عبد الرزاق related to us that Ma'mar informed us from أيوب السختياني and كثير بن المطلب كثير بن كثير بن المطلب ابن أبي وداعة each of them adding more than the other in the hadith, I'll explain this next week, from Sa'id ibn Jubair, from Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhumah, that Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhumah said, أول ما اتخذ النساء المنطقة من قبل أم إسماعيل, the first that women adopted the practice of fastening the sash from, was from the mother of Ismail, Meaning, Hajar radiyallahu anha. Insha'Allah, I'll continue from here next week and I'll explain thoroughly then. Do come yourselves and invite others also. Subhanakallahum wa bihamdik nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruk wa This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadhul Haq and has been brought to you by Al-Kotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on double zero double four one two one double seven one three triple seven or by email via sales at akstore.com. Produced under license by Alcotha Productions, all rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.